You and I live in a dangerous world. As we listen to the news, we find that in our own culture, there are increasing dangers that uh, uh, possibly may come upon us. We recognize that there are certain places that it's not really safe to go, or certain times of the night that it's better not to be in a given location in our own uh, city and area. In the same way, when we have opportunity to speak to our children, we speak to them about some of the dangers. We hear the whole issue related to drugs, and we hear issues related to uh, the type of friends that they might have and activities that they pursue. You and I are fully aware of the fact that we live in a world that is full of dangers, when in reality, some of the terroristic or other dangers that we face It is not these that are the most detrimental to us, and it's the ones that we're the most ignorant of that are really the most damaging. It is the unseen world that is around us. We can use the example of illnesses and diseases and those microorganisms that can devastate a physical body. But even beyond that, besides the terroristic activities Besides the dangers that might await us in given locations, there is the recognition of an unseen foe that the Bible describes as one that is stalking about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. As a good parent, we try to warn our children, the young people, especially our offspring as they're ready to go off to college or into the military or pursue their career and they're no longer under our roof and where we have a watchful eye over them. And we try to provide them with some instruction as to the dangers and the pitfalls that may be before them. In the same way, when we have people we've associated with, individuals that may be in some situations we've ministered with, And we're not sure that we're going to see them again. Besides conveying to them the typical emotional I love you and embracing them, we try to have significant words to say to them in that farewell address or that farewell occasion. There was an English Puritan church leader lived from 1615 to 1691 by the name of Richard Baxter, and for individuals that have been been involved in training for ministry, one of his works has been almost universally utilized as a required text for those training for ministry. It's called the Reformed Pastor. And as Richard Baxter conveyed his own convictions about preaching and teaching the word of God to others, he basically said that the message he delivered was one of a farewell address every time he had the occasion to open God's word and to give others instruction from it. He said, I preach as never sure to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. Now think about what he said. He recognized that there was an unseen danger that was lurking around every one of us. 
And he recognized that the only thing we can be certain of is this present opportunity to speak to one another about the things that are most relevant and the most important. And especially as one who had been given a shepherding responsibility for the well-being of the individuals that were part of his local church or his flock, there was the realization that there is no certainty of tomorrow. There is no certainty of this afternoon. There is no certainty for any one of us of how many breaths we will yet take. And so he would say, I preach as never sure to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. He wanted to make sure that what was most relevant and most important is what was conveyed to the individuals who were hearing him. In the very same way, the Apostle Paul, giving a farewell address to the elders at Ephesus, recorded for us in Acts chapter 20, recognized that he would never see their faces again. And in a sense, He was sure that he would not teach or preach to them again. And so he conveyed to them that which was most essential and most important. And what he said to the elders at Ephesus is certainly what is most essential and most important for each one of us. The Apostle Paul made it very clear that he knew dangers were lurking before them. And much more than the physical harm that could come to either them or those who were under their watch care as under shepherds of Jesus Christ, there was a spiritual danger that yet awaited them. He said that he knew that after his departure, savage wolves would come in among them and not sparing the flock. And that even from their own selves, men would arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Now, as Paul makes it very clear uh, in his warning to them, He also makes it very clear as where he felt the place of safety and security would be for them. He said in verse 32 of Acts chapter 20, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In light of the dangers that were awaiting these leaders and the people of God, the Apostle Paul recognized that the place of safety and security was with God himself and with his word. We recognize the book of Acts was written to provide us with a transition from God's focus on the nation of Israel to his focus on the church. And what we see in the book of Acts is how God ministered first through the apostle who was the premier apostle to the Jews, that is Peter, and then as he ministered through the one who was the premier apostle to the Gentiles, that is Paul. And in both cases, we find that God is using these individuals 
to build the church, to lay the foundation for the church, to bring individuals to uh, the Lord, and to build them up in the body of Christ. And here is Paul reminding the elders at Ephesus about his ministry. It is a unique address in all the book of Acts, for we find that there were other places where messages were recorded by Luke in this work, and those messages had to do with the evangelistic type of ministry of Peter or of Paul. Or there were, minis- uh, there were messages included that had to do with encouragement and warning that the apostles gave to the church as a whole. But here uniquely in Paul's farewell address, he is speaking to the elders at Ephesus while he is on his way to Jerusalem and seeking to provide them with what is most essential for a faithful ministry on their part and for the well-being of the church. As Paul describes his ministry, he makes it very clear that he was not ministering in any way to exalt or promote himself. And sadly, part of the real pitfalls for individuals in a place of leadership or in a place of ministry is to be lifted up with pride and to begin to uh, focus on oneself rather than recognizing that I am an instrument to cause others to focus on the Lord. He said in verse 19 that the whole time he was with them, he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots, plot of the Jews. This idea of true humility was a recognition of the gifts that God had given him, but not seeing those gifts as something he deserved or earned, but as a gracious action on the part of God to equip him in this way. In the same way, he recognized the effects of his ministry were because of the work of God, working through him as he would work through others. When he wrote to the Corinthians and rebuked them for the fact that they were polarizing themselves according to various earthly church or Christian leaders, he would say, you know, I planted and Apollos watered, but God was the one who gave the increase. So who is Paul? He's nothing. Who is Apollos? He's a zero. God is everything. Now, he isn't minimizing the effectiveness of their ministry, but he said, we have the treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of man. And it is a reliance upon the word of God to accomplish the work of God in the lives of others. And so in the very same way, for the safeguarding of God's people, Paul says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. What we find also in Paul's ministry is that he faithfully proclaimed that word. He alludes to it in verse uh, twenty where he says, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, he said in verse 24, 
I was solemnly testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. In verse 25, he says, I know that you all among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Or in verse 25, or excuse me, verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What characterized the ministry of Paul and what was to characterize the ministry of these elders. And may I say what is to characterize anyone who has the privilege of proclaiming God's uh, truth to others is that it must be a ministry of the word of God itself. When we think about the history of the church uh, from the time in which it was founded in apostolic days up into our present day, one of the greatest pitfalls and dangers that has faced the church is the fact that suddenly there has been a departure from the truth of God. And in the very same way, even today, in a majority of the churches that go under the name of Christian, there is not the proclamation of the whole counsel of God. There is not the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God. There is not the proclamation of the word of God's grace. There is not the proclamation of the word of God. Instead, there is the substitute of the vain philosophies and the teachings of men. But notice Paul says here, it is only the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. Paul also recognized in his ministry that his desire was not for his own well-being, but that he might honor and please Jesus Christ himself. I'm arrested by how he mentions this fact in verse 24. Paul said there, I do not consider my... Well, let me back up. He said he doesn't know what waits for him in Jerusalem except in verse 23 that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace of God. Paul didn't consider his own well-being, his own comforts, or any of the things associated with him as being of primary importance. No, instead, when he looked at his own life, he would say, what happens to me is not what moves me. It's not what dictates to me how I conduct myself. I am going to faithfully complete the ministry that God has committed into my hands. I am going to finish my course with joy knowing that I have pleased the God who has called me to himself. Remember how he described his life focus, his worldview, his purpose in life when he wrote to the Philippians and he recorded for us in Philippians chapter 1. For to me, to live, what is it? It's Christ. And therefore to die is gain. Paul was a humble servant of the Lord, seeking to faithfully proclaim God's word because he knew that is what was essential for the well-being of God's people. And he didn't 
take into account the physical difficulties, hardships, and afflictions that he might receive as he faithfully carried on his ministry. He made it very clear that as we look at our situation within the church, we live in a dangerous world. And not just a dangerous world because of the outward forces, because of the terroristic activities, because of the problems and difficulties, even persecutions and afflictions that we all will face. But as a child of God, we need to recognize we have an adversary who stalks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the unseen foe is more deadly and damaging than what we can see around us. And so Paul says, be on your guard. Be on the alert. Watch out. Be ready. Because in unsuspecting ways, the evil one may come upon you. Now, you and I need to recognize that not only do we live in a dangerous world, but God is doing for us what is for our good. And the first is the fact that he has placed us together in the body of Christ, in the local church, which as we saw last time is something that is essential for our own well-being. You'll notice that as the writer of Hebrews described it, he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. But instead, consider how to provoke one another to love and to good works. Or when Paul wrote to the church uh, as a whole, the book of, uh, uh, of Ephesians, uh, some four or five years later from, or two to five years later from when this account took place, what did he say to them? He said that God has given the church gifted leaders for the purpose of equipping them for the work of the ministry that the church might build itself up in love. And we recognize that being a member of the body of Christ, being included in the church, is a gracious act on the part of God for our well-being. And in order to place us there, it was a very costly act on the part of God to bring us into this relationship with one another. He says to the leaders in Ephesus that they were to shepherd, they were to look out for the church of God that he had made them overseers, but it is that church which he had purchased by his own blood. The church does not belong to any earthly individual Christian leader, no matter how prominent he may be. Jesus Christ is the one who purchased the church to himself. And as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, that he gave himself for the church for the whole purpose that he might present the church to himself in all of its glory without spot and uh, any blemish for us to realize a great privilege of grace to be included in the body of Christ and part of the church and for those who have the privilege and responsibility of leadership within the church to always remember that the church does not belong to any Christian leader the church belongs to God himself purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ
It's also important for us to comprehend that God has provided us with spiritual leaders in the church. Just as I alluded to in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul makes it very clear that God gave gifts to the church. And those gifts are individuals, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as pastor teachers. He uh, has provided us with these leaders for our well-being. And the recognition that we need to have of learning from them, being subject to them because of the ministry that God has given to them. The writer of Hebrews made it very clear when he talked to the um, saints around, uh, around Jerusalem. And in his conclusion, he said, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief. And the reason is, for this would be unprofitable for you. Those who are hindered, those who find it unprofitable, are those who aren't subjecting, subjecting themselves to subjecting themselves to the leadership that God has placed over them. And yet it is not a blind following of those leaders. When Paul wrote to the church at churches in Galatia, he made it very clear that if individuals come, coming with a seeming authority or leadership responsibility and preach something contrary to God's word, that individual is under the sentence of damnation from God. He says in verse 7 of Galatians 1, individuals have come and preached a different gospel, which is not really a same type of gospel. It's not another. Only there are some there who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so I say it now again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which we have received, let him be accursed. And so Paul makes it very clear that those who distort or pervert God's word are under the sentence of divine judgment. You and I need to recognize that the place of security is being commended to God and to the word of his grace. And it's that word which we need in order to discern whether what we are being told is really in keeping with what God has said to us. In the same way, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we find in 1 Thessalonians 5, the Apostle Paul said to them in verse 21, speaking about hearing messages being given in the local assembly, examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Your well-being, my well-being, is centered in the word of God. It is what is designed for our benefit and our profit. And if I am ignorant of this truth, I am very vulnerable to the falsehoods that are permeating the professing Christian church 
and are in this world around me. That's why when Paul gave the warning recorded for us in Acts chapter 20, he said he knows after his departure that savage wolves are going to come in, not sparing the flock, and also from their own selves, that is from the eldership, from the leadership in the church at Ephesus, there would be individuals, men who will arise and speak perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. The whole issue is embracing teaching that is contrary to the truth of God. We live in a day where subjectivism, individualism is what is exalted. We think that all that matters is we sincerely believe what we think to be so, but nothing could be farther from the truth. God's ways are not as our ways and his thoughts are not as our thoughts. And he has given us this truth in order to benefit us and protect us from the vain philosophies, from the thinking of men, from the wisdom of the world that is damning to our eternal well-being. Now, it's not as if only Paul would say this to the leaders in Ephesus. If you think of what Jude stated, he said, I wanted to talk to you in Jude chapter, uh, or excuse Jude verse 1. Um, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to all who are called, beloved of God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the truth, which was once for all delivered to the saints. God's not going to send us a new word. God's not going to replace what he conveyed to us through the apostles that are now included in what you and I think of as the New Testament. It was once for all delivered to the saints. And the reason uh, Jude tells us that he couldn't just sit around and speak with the brethren about their common salvation and the blessing that it is to be a Christian is because there was a danger lurking out there. There was the false teaching permeating within the church that would be damning to the individuals within it. And it happened subtly without notice. For he said in verse 4, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long ago pointed uh, beforehand marked out for this damnation or condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And what is it that he ends this little letter with? Oh, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. And in the same way, Paul said, I commend you, I commit you now to God and to the word of his grace, 
when Peter dealt with the falsehood that would be creeping into the church. And in 2 Peter described the characteristics of those wolves in sheep clothing who would be devouring the flock. He not only described to them what they would be like, but he ended his letter in the very same way. He said that beloved, verse 14 of chapter 3, 2 Peter Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand, but which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do the rest of Scripture's to their own destruction. You, however, beloved, knowing beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the principle, uh, by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here was Jude speaking as a dying man to dying men. One letter that he conveyed and reminded them of how essential it was to have one's life built upon the word of God's grace. In the same way the apostle Peter in his last message that he delivered recognized that the real danger that was lurking for the church was the false teaching that would suddenly come in by individuals who would very persuasively turn individuals away from the word of God to the reasoning and the teachings and philosophies of men. And he too commended them to the word of God, to the word of his grace. The last pastoral epistle that we have written for us by the Apostle Paul was when Paul, speaking to Timothy, reminded him that in the last days, difficult times will come. And the reason is, is because there are people who are out there deceiving and being deceived. They are evil men and apostors who will proceed from bad to worse. And they are ones who will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. They will enter into households and captivate weak women laid away down with their sins and led on by various impulses. They'll always be learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Timothy needed to recognize that his ministry was one which would ground people in the word of God and guard people from the falsehood that would come into the church. And so he tells him, you, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through the faith which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. For all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, there's a lot of dangers out there. And this is my last opportunity to convey to you what is really most essential. 
I am speaking to you as a dying man to dying men. I am reminding you of the subtle dangers within the church where falsehood will come in and turn people away from the truth and a departure from God and his salvation. And so I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Paul reminded the Ephesians in the letter to them, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. The recognition that what we really fight against, the real danger that is before us, the danger that will damn us for all eternity is a departure from the living God, from Jesus Christ, and from his word. We can be very grateful that God has raised up individuals throughout the history of the church that became aware of the fact that the church had slowly, subtly, and um, erroneously departed from God's truth. But God raised up these individuals to bring his people back to this word, which alone is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. What we need to realize is that you and I live in a very dangerous world. And in this dangerous world, the adversary of our soul is seeking to subtly turn our attention away from God and his truth, to put our confidence, our outlook on life, our perspective on what we're going to do in something other than the word of God. And that has happened in the American church where instead of building the church on the foundation of God's truth, the church is being built on the erroneous thinking of man. It's not any different than what the Lord Jesus did in what is truly the high priestly prayer or the Lord's prayer recorded for us in John chapter 17. For in John chapter 17, in the record of this high priestly prayer, he asked God the Father to watch over his children. He said in verse 11, I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. 
I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So praying to the Father, that the Father would keep them, that the Father would guard them, that the Father would watch over them. Think of the relevance of that for us today. The prayers of Christ for all who draw near to God through him, that the Father would keep us, that the Father would guard us, that the Father would keep us from the evil one, and that the Father would fill us with joy. And where is that found? Well, it's in verse 17. Set them apart. Keep them in this unique standing before you in the truth. Your word is truth. God has given us an absolute, his unchangeable word to have as a criteria to evaluate the teachings of others, for you to evaluate what I am saying to you today to recognize the place of safety and of your own well-being is to be commended to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. We know that in this world we face many difficulties, trials, and afflictions and there are great persecutions that have come upon the people of God in the in various ages of the history of the church. And yet as God's people have gone through those dark times, they have always had a song that they could sing because they could say, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. What a joy to know that no one or nothing can separate the people of God from their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that he in his goodness, that he in his grace has given us his word to protect us, to mature us, to encourage us, to build us up, and to provide us with the blessed hope of knowing that what awaits us is that inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. No wonder the writer of Psalm 1 made it very clear that what is characteristic of a righteous man, of a child of God, is that he is an individual that instead of following and embracing the ways of the world, he is finding his counsel and his wisdom in the word of God. And that is the issue for each one of us today. What is the authority in our lives? Are we following the wisdom of the world, the thinking of men? Or are we following the word of God and the wisdom of God as is conveyed within this book? How blessed a place of unique favor is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in that law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. 
And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. A tree firmly planted that brings forth fruit because the roots of the righteous go into the very water of life, God himself. And they have a steadfastness and stability in life. But he says, the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away, the fickleness of man outside of Christ, and the fact that he is blown about by popular opinion and whatever seems to be expedient at the moment. But God's people have a a firmness, a stability of character, and bring forth that which is pleasing to God, bearing our fruit in our season. And even when the sun, burning sun of affliction comes, the leaf does not wither. And this last statement is one that delights me immensely because I am someone that hates to lose. And in whatever he does, he prospers. It may not seem to be success in the eyes of the world and the people around us. But those who walk with God, those who focus on him and build their lives on the foundation of the word of his grace are ultimately those who, when they stand before God, will not be embarrassed, will not be ashamed, but will hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. God has given us his word to protect us from the false teaching that continually creeps into the church. He has given us his word to keep us from the evil attacks that surround us as the enemy of our souls seeks to devour us and turn us away from God. He has given us his word as an encouragement and sustainer of our inner self and provide us with joy unspeakable regardless of what we go through, knowing that what awaits us is yet that promised kingdom and being in God's presence forevermore in whose presence is the fullness of joy forever. Dear brother and sister in Christ, as never sure that I will preach again, as one who can honestly say I am a dying man speaking to dying men, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which alone is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified.